up, beautiful humans? My name is Morgan, and I'm your podcast host. I'm a talk therapist by training and a practicing spiritual entrepreneur. I specialize in Reiki, tarot, and past life regression. In this podcast, I integrate both clinical and spiritual perspectives to best support you on your healing journey. Welcome to The Clinical Spiritualist. Hi, Molly. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Morgan. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for joining me. Let's start with a little introduction. I like to do name, pronouns, and a little bit about your practice. Yeah. My name is Molly Zive. My pronouns are she, her. I am out of San Diego, California, and my practice covers all of California virtually. Um, I really like working with millennials who struggle to um, really show up authentically, and I really help them try to align to their highest self, whatever that means for them. So that's a little bit about my work. Yeah. This is random, but as you're talking, I thought about when you show up on Reels, you have this tagline in the beginning, like Molly Zive, uh, San Diego therapist, I think is what you say. I love it. It's so just like a nice way to introduce yourself every time. So I wanted to to tell you that, that I like that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll keep doing it. Yeah. I think it's really important to, and I'm a podcast host as well. Just like, mm-hmm. I always like to set the table. That's just how I think about it. Or like, you know, even my first session with a client, I call it setting the table. I'm like, did you get this policy? Do you have any questions about this? Like confidentiality mm-hmm. just, so there's like that safe container, you know? Yeah. I like that. It's a good foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like for you to share your spiritual or kind of psychology profile, anything that you want to share about your astrology or Enneagram. Yeah. The big three, right? So I am a Gemini sun, a Pisces moon and a Scorpio rising. I am a two, four emotional projector Mm -hmm. and Enneagram. This is not to shade Enneagram, but I'm just like so bored with myself because I'm the helper. I'm like, come on. Like we already know. Yeah. I forget. I think it's a three, but I just like wanted to be the individualist or something. I don't know. Just something cool. Yeah. Is that what you are? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just that motion tells you that's what I am. Like yeah. to be different than everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm bored with myself. I'm the helper. I'm like, I get it. We, we get it. <laughs> We've yeah. lived in this world. Right. Um, I'm a Scorpio rising as well. That makes sense. Right. Like the deep, spiritual intensity that we both have. And what was your moon sign? It's Pisces. Pisces. I don't know a lot about Pisces. That's a water sign, right? Yeah. It's super emo. I don't really know either. (laughs) I've had my, (laughs) I've had my chart read so many times. And like up until this point, I've really resonated with Gemini because I'm just like, I love variety. I love changing it up. And then on my bachelorette party, actually like a, a month ago, we had an astrologer come in and she didn't know anything about me. I'm getting full body chills. And she looked at it and something about my chart. She was like something in one of the houses or the Scorpio rising was like, this is a therapist. This is like the prototype of like a family counselor. Do you do family counseling? I'm like, no, but, but do I need to? I'm a therapist. I'm like, who told her? Like I looked at all my friends and, and she just knew it was so crazy. Bizarre. That, yeah, I love astrology. I'm not versed in it at all. Um, it's very intimidating, but I love to follow like astrology accounts and things like that. It's so interesting. Um, tell us a little bit about your background in therapy and how you arrive to this work and this profession. Yeah. So 
I always had a really strong will. And when I was like 15, 16 years old, I started um, having panic disorder. I was just so miserable, like couldn't go to school. I think there was a little bit of agoraphobia in that. Um, and just always afraid of having another panic attack. Um, I remember as early as like eighth grade learning about the Holocaust and I identify as Jewish and remembering that panicked feeling. And then again, in high school, when we were learning about the bombing of Hiroshima, I had this like the most intense panic attack and had to go to the bathroom and like, couldn't come out. And so my mom, um, reached out to my childhood therapist that I had when my parents divorced mm -hmm. and she really worked with me and did a lot of like mind body, like chakra stuff, like things that I can't even, I know there's EFT tapping, but like the chakra stuff, I don't know what modality it was, but it truly saved my life. And as a 15, 16 year old, like I declared, I'm going to be an LCSW. Wow. So that's like the, the origin story of like, and she had a very strong will, you know, like when we're in school, it's very like A to B linear, you know, you, you go kindergarten to high school and then college to masters. And so that's kind of the linear path that I thought I was going to um, go. And it, it just kind of worked out that way. So I got my bachelor's in human development at UCSD. And then I got my master's at USC in social work. Yeah, it sounds like everything was pretty linear for you. Like you knew pretty early on that you were going to be a um, social worker. LCSW, totally. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. I know that there's a difference in social work and clinical mental health and all that good stuff. What is the most rewarding part of being a therapist? Oh, oh my gosh. I think, I think the spiritual part of it, and I really haven't come into that until recently, until I started my own business of just like the healing that takes place and really like feeling that on a visceral level and witnessing that like people releasing shame and trauma for the first time ever in their lives and like see them look different. Like it, they just, they look different. They act different. They're, they're, they're claiming their worthiness. And I think that that's probably the most rewarding part of being a therapist. Yeah. I was interested in doing this podcast with you, as you know, um, because you were on a different podcast and you really opened up about the toxicity or challenging parts of the mental health profession. Mm -hmm. um, and I was really drawn to that because I think it's something that people who are outside the therapy community, they don't really understand. I think that like therapy has been really glamorized at like being a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously we can go on and on about the pros of being a therapist and what we get to do right. and, and help others. Um, but I really just think it's important to talk about the challenges and like the mental, I don't know, the mental challenges that we face as well. So what would you say has been the most challenging part of being a therapist? Yeah. Thank you so much for asking this question. And I, if I could go back in time as that young person who declared they wanted to be a social worker, I wish I had this truly like what we're about to talk about is so important and like we're truth tellers, right? Like I hate to say this, but back in the day we were probably witches and we probably would have been, uh, you know, we probably, I don't know if we would have lived because we're such truth tellers, you know? Um, and I'm glad that we have the space to have a free speech. So, um, I, I've been really reflecting on this a lot since I've been listening to your podcast as well and listening to your story and everything that's resonated with me along my path. Um, the most challenging part, like if I were to go back in time, I remember like the planting seeds of the internalized patriarchy. I happened to go to a school with a lot of um, military folks and um, that was a specialty. So th there happened to be quite a few men in my programs. And I remember that 
one of my older professors was like, ladies, look around the room and notice that your male peers are going to make it, be making at least $20,000 more than you a year and be promoted to supervisor roles way faster than you ever will. And I, it was the first time I was like, are they smarter than me? Maybe it's because they have a military background. Like I never really thought like it's because of my gender. Oh my God. Like, so that was like the internalized patriarchy. That's one thing I've been reflecting on. The second thing is the pay, which I know you've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to know that I was going to be living on poverty level, had I been a social worker? Probably not. Yeah. Um, I talked about it in that podcast that you're referencing um, with the therapreneur yeah. about how it was so difficult for me to pay my own bills and then have to watch um, people suffer with homelessness and severe mental illness. And it just really impacted me. So the pay and then the violence, every single placement Mm. that I worked in, it was like, um, I can't remember the name of those fucking trainings that were bullshit. It's like basically like how to not get your ass kicked as a therapist. Yeah. Why are we as young women, especially there's so many, you know, going back to the internalized patriarchy, look around our field. Like there's so many women. There's a reason why we're not paid as much in this field because it's mostly women. I didn't arrive to that uh, thought pattern or that. I don't know. Honestly, a few months ago, I was just speaking so much about why are we paid like shit? Like I have a master's degree. I was sold this line that you know, education is everything you do well in college, mm-hmm. you get a, um, a continued education and you're going to be set. You're going to have retirement, your bills are going to be paid for. And then when I arrived in the workforce over a year ago, it was like, Oh no, we still need you to do, um, two to four more years and get your license. And then you'll get paid like, all right. Like, especially if you're working for someone else. Um, and it really, I was reflecting on it. It's like, yeah, gender makes sense. And someone replied to an Instagram story I did about this. And they were like, yeah, that's why teachers are paid so low as well. is because like women are predominantly in that profession. It's just, it's just wild to me how therapists are not considered healthcare at this point, like in some areas maybe, mm-hmm. um, but not like universally. We're not. Yeah. I mean, just important. Totally. Just look at the breakdown between psychiatrists and therapists. Psychiatrists see their clients. I mean, not all. There's probably good therapists or psychiatrists out there, but they Mm -hmm. see them for about 15 minutes and send them on their way and get three to four times as much money as a therapist who's doing the work, making the safety plans, you know, saving people's lives for 60 minute sessions. And there's just a huge discrepancy in the healthcare system. It's just this field, just like the systems really, um, the oppressive systems is what is the hardest part, I think, of being a social worker. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like we can only do so much as one individual. Um, So it's just something that I would consider going if I were to go back into it. Obviously, I love my path, but it was traumatizing for me. And I mentioned in my, you know, the other interview that I struggled with wanting to not be here anymore because I didn't know what what will I had to live if I could barely pay my bills Mm. and I was treated like shit in my workplace. Mm. And it's cool that my clients were appreciative every once in a while, but I mean, that doesn't pay my bills and it doesn't make me, um, you know, not feel burnt out after work because I can't afford to do anything. And I'm, you know, I'm just totally drained. Oh my God. I feel like I'm looking into a mirror right now. Um, which is really, one fucked up that I'm hearing it back that it's, you know, I'm not the outlier 
and too validating that because I think something that happened in my, in my last gig was that I kind of like gaslighted myself. Like mm-hmm. I was doing all of these, all of these things. And then I was like, it's not that like, it's fine. Like it's, it's basically like $25 an hour. Cause I was getting like $25 per session. Um, so I just rationalized a lot of things. I didn't have insurance. Like, yeah, I would somehow skid in my rent every month. And I just kept being like, is it my problem? Like I I kept putting it back on myself. And then I was just like, I can't, I'm making myself, I was literally making myself feel crazy. So let's talk more about kind of like the slow progression to where it went from like, you're fine versus you're really not okay. Yeah. Such a good question. I'm so glad we have the space to talk about it. I, you know, I don't know if it was slow for me and I resonate with what you're saying so much. And, um, what I used to do was not only gaslight myself, but look around and compare myself to others. Well, so-and-so is able to handle it. They've been here for years. Why can't I handle it? Something must be wrong with me. And then I was given those messages, uh, back to me. They reflected back to me. You're too compassionate. You're too young to be burnt out. You're too this. And then I felt even more shame and I internalized it even more where I felt like something must be fundamentally wrong with me. If I have such a hard time showing up to work and I need stress leave or I need to change my job after a year, like it, it didn't make sense to me. And so the gaslighting really, um, it unfortunately resonates with me. That's something that I did to myself. So I don't think it was slow for me. I think it was pretty fast. I remember my first placement after grad school, it was a um, urgent care for mental health. And I remember the guy across from me, was a MFT for like six years. And within the first week, he stopped showing up to work. And this was like my third month or fourth month working there. And I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, that's really weird. And I would just see this like turnover happening really quickly with people. And then I, that kind of gave me permission to go inside and be like, okay, I know one of my professors said, that I need to stay at my placement for two years in order to get hired or da, 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 da. I know my parents stayed at their jobs for 30 years. How am I going to stay here? It gave me permission to be like, nope, you don't need to be here. Like, yeah, release it. (laughs) Surrender to the fact that there's other things out there. And so I will say my placements always got better, like in one way or another, but they were still really violent. There was still always fear of being attacked. I was going into people's homes and there, it was really unsafe. And so just like these I was really brave. Like looking back on my twenties, I'm like, holy shit, I would not do any of that stuff now that I'm in my thirties. And I think it's just kind of all part of the growth and part of the path. You know, I wouldn't trade anything in for the world, but I would have liked to been reality checked a little bit more about this field. Mm, Yeah. In my last placement, I was going into the community where there was a lot of gun violence. Yeah. I just like re-traumatization is a good, is a good word. And I remember when I was in therapy, my therapist said that back to me while I was in this really traumatizing situation where like you're dealing with complex trauma and you're talking to parents who can be intimidating sometimes. And you're going out into the community where a lot of violence happens. Um, Yeah. And then you like try to take care of yourself, but you can't afford to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And then I think you really spoke to something beautiful about comparison is that you get online and you look at like therapists who are like pretty popular or people that you graduated with. And you're like, how are they doing it? And like, am I just not strong enough? Do I not have a, like enough willpower? Um, 
and that comparison is just um really toxic yeah um what do you wish to see change within the mental health community Mm -hmm. I think all the things that I (laughs) just told you that was wrong with the mental health community think better pay um I think more accessibility for clinicians I mean this shit was not cheap I mean, we get out of grad school, I took out huge student loans, crippling student debt, crippling, you know, but this was the path in order to be a licensed clinician. So I I think that, you know, um, looking at what is a therapist and um, how can we pay them more and are there other alternatives um, to helping with accessibility that isn't, you know, the all those apps that aren't really accessible and um, kind of exploit therapists. So I think just like what you said about the medical field really resonated with me was um, just really seeing it as a necessity in terms of the healthcare system. Um, I would love to see it. I would love to see clinicians getting paid what they're worth because then a lot more of us would be in network and Mm. we'd be able to take insurance, but unfortunately it doesn't help sustain our lifestyle. I mean, we're going to have to have two or three jobs if we just take insurance or take on a huge caseload, you know, like it's not realistic for someone to see 40 people a week. I know people who can, I know people who can physically do it, but I'm just like, I'm such a sensitive person that if I really want to be present with each one of my clients, I, I cannot do 40 people plus. I mean, my caseload was so crazy in agency work. It's yeah. just not realistic. So I think the expectations need to be more realistic. Um, I think that I get the California licensing thing, but I also like feel really drawn to want to help people across the United States. And unfortunately with a license, there's just so many rules and regulations about practicing within your state. Um, Mm. I would like to see that challenged a little more. And of course I could get licensed in other States, but then again, it's, it's even more paperwork, even more testing, even more like having to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Out of my pocket. So, um, Yeah. Those are just a few things. And then of course, like the violence in the workplace, you know, why am I showing up? One of my first jobs, I worked in a locked residential facility right out of college before I started grad school. Mm -hmm. And I just remember the first day they were like, don't wear anything that you actually like care about because it's going to be ripped off of you. And I was just like, whoa, that's really strange to go into my workplace every day and feel afraid that something's going to be ripped off of me or I'm going to be attacked or, you know, my hair is going to be pulled out from behind me. Those were like the messages I received. Like, why aren't there security guards? Why aren't there, I don't know, just more protocols. Like I think I'm all about harm reduction. I'm not trying to come down on people who have mental illness and, and need to be, um, you know, restrained in a, you know, ethical way, but uh, making clinicians and young women feel like they could be attacked at any moment. Like that's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember at, actually my second internship site in grad school was a health clinic and um, I had a really toxic supervisor like, Oh, Oh, that's a whole other, that's another thing that we need to change, right? The toxicity of supervision. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's okay. And um, someone was attempted to be um, someone tried to like, and did I think assault someone in a parking lot of my internship site and I went to 
my internship site, my supervisor never said anything. She literally was trying to save face for the, the site because she was getting grant funding from my school. And so I had to find out through someone else that like a crime literally happened the night before and they just weren't going to tell the interns then my school wasn't supportive. Mm-hmm. And it was this thing where like I was getting money for being at a grant site. And if I left the site because I felt unsafe, then I wouldn't get that mu- money for funding, which right. I to live. And it's just like, as much as the mental health field promotes and talks about self-care and take care of yourself, it's like the people who go in front of us and who are in charge of us are like perpetuating toxic Mm -hmm. work culture. And yeah, seeing 30 to 40 clients a week, like I remember being so dissociated in my grad program. I was like, what is wrong with me? I can't stay grounded in these sessions. It's because I was doing all the coursework and then trying to see clients. It's just not realistic at all. It's not. You have to like get out of your own body, that trauma response, right? The Mm -hmm. flight. I'm a very flight oriented and fun where I just have to like, yeah, go out of my body. And so it makes a lot of sense. And that's also what really called me to be a clinical supervisor. I just stepped into that role in June um, and I have a two year contract and I tell them all the time, I am doing this because I get to be the person that I always wanted to someone to be for me as a clinical supervisor. Maybe it doesn't meet all their needs. Maybe they don't, you know, agree with, with my style, but I just am like, if I can empower the next generation of therapists to really trust their gut, to follow their intuition, to, you know, break glass ceilings, I, how could I turn that down? You know, like it's very, very rewarding. That's another part of like being a therapist is really rewarding is like helping the next generation or, and so, but I also am very clear about like, not all my clinical supervisors were helpful, you know? So yeah. maybe down the line, maybe I'm just planting some seeds. I'd like to believe that I'm helpful, but you um, are. how about that? You <laughs> are period. I am helpful. I'm so hard on myself. Uh, Yeah. So just being that person that, you know, is really validating and the things that I, you know, I remember one of my internships, I worked in prison Mm -hmm. and one of the guards was coming on to me and my supervisor Mm -hmm. asked me what I was talking about, what I was wearing, um, all these like victim blaming pretty much. Mm. And I remember telling my mom, who's like a very, she's like a very radical feminist, love her so much. uh, And she was like, fuck that. You got to go in there and you got to take it all down. Like I was like, mom, this is like a, you're not in prison with me. You don't know what the system is like. It's so violent. And so like, there's so much masculinity. What is like a young 24 year old intern really going to do? Right. My God. Yeah. That's so fucking horrible. Why do you think burnout and compassion fatigue and just being a freaking hamster on a hamster wheel so normalized. I think it's the comparison. The comparisonitis is just so real. If you see your, it's kind of like that group think, right? Like if you see your coworker showing up every day and doing the work, like why can't you do the work or why can't you show up in the way that other people need you to show up and just always comparing yourself. If you work on a treatment team with other people who are already doing the work, I think that that is so normalized. And it's just like the, the messages of like, well, this is what you signed up for. What did you expect? Like people are going to tell you their problems that, you know, and it's, and it's way more than that. And I think that in grad school, when they talked about self-care, in PowerPoint presentations, like what, (laughs) what is that? You know, no one really talked about what it truly means 
to feel burnt out, to feel these symptoms of depression, anxiety Mm -hmm. systemically from the placements that we work in. And I think if there was a more honest conversation, like the one we're having now, I think it would have been a lot more serving around self-care and what that truly looks like. um, Because there's just so much discrepancy between that. Like it's, it's again, victim blaming, like, are you doing enough self-care? I tell my interns all the time. I'm like, when's your next day off? Like I'm promoting days off. I'm like, if you can take time off, if you can take breaks, do it. I wish someone told me that early on to enjoy the breaks, you know? Yeah. What advice do you have for professionals, whether they're thinking about being a therapist or are a therapist now, what's some advice that you have? Run. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I mean, I get DMs all the time. I can't tell you how much of, um, would you recommend being a therapist? I really want to be a licensed person. And I just ask people to look long and hard at other options. And that's just my honest truth. Look at being a coach, look at getting into energy healing, look into, I mean, all the things that I wish I would have done, um, because this is, this is a dedication to the, to yourself. I mean, it's not just like a Maybe I'll dabble in it. I mean, how many years of school did you go to? Um, like six, seven? Six, six. Yeah, same. The six or seven years. And then after that, it's like, how many years do you have to do where you're getting paid dirt cheap because you're not licensed? Yeah. Two or three? I think it took me three years. And yeah. then, you know, like it just always felt like once I get my master's, then I'll be happy. Well, oh, but once I get my license, like I was always reaching for something to make me feel better. And I would just, I would just look within yourself. Like you really have to have a why if you really, if you want to be a therapist and a counselor, like you really have to keep going back to the why of um, why you need to be in this field. And I love that every client is a learning experience. I truly do. And, you know, some of my interns are like, well, this person isn't really like love and light the way that I am. And I'm just like, yeah, because they're traumatized. They're talking about traumatic work and you need to learn how to hold space for that. And that's not to say that your feelings aren't valid, but there just has to be room for your clients to be able to talk about trauma and really, really scary, sad Mm -hmm. things. You know, I've, I've cried in sessions too. I had a clinical supervisor who told me that I could never cry harder than my client. That'd be an issue, you know, in session. But I just, when things move me, I definitely feel it. Those are some of my most powerful sessions I can think of is when it's brought me to tears because the client just witnesses like, wow, that, that really was hard. So do you foresee a change within, um, mental health care? I like to think that what you and I are doing are kind of changing the path. And you talked about it in one of your other episodes about integrating the spirituality and clinical piece, obviously look at the name of this podcast. Uh, (laughs) And I think that just walking that path is kind of like, I'm reading the the war of art. And they talk about in that book, how artists must continually have to put themselves out there in order for other artists to feel creative and to feel inspired. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like to think about my work is just like the things that I got 
like bullied for um, being spiritual and being all these other things too compassionate are the things why people want to work with me. So the more that I can step into my authentic self, um, I, I allow other people to do the same. You know, I think in grad school and textbooks, they tell us to be this blank slate therapist. And I think that when we show up on Instagram or we see other people show up in a way that's really authentic, I think that's what really resonates um, with other colleagues, with clients, with people in general. Yeah. Going back to what you said about when people ask you if they, if um, they should become a therapist or what's the path and you're like, maybe look into being a coach or something else that's helping. Um, I really like that you just open that gate and we're honest. I have noticed a lot within the therapy therapist community. There's this like looking down on coaches or people who aren't licensed therapists. Um, and obviously I fully understand you know, being licensed, I think that it's definitely flawed with the test and um, not reciprocity. Is that how you say it? Yep. Nailed it. <laughs> and there's this like kind of like hierarchy of like, well, you're not a licensed therapist. So like you're basically not, I don't know. There's mm-hmm. just a lot of gatekeeping with like helping people. Yeah. And I just think that the most important thing is one, education of some sort. And two, like doing your own inner healing, because I have met some therapists who are pieces of shit. (laughs) Absolutely. No, they are. They are. You can really tell. I think that's what sets apart good therapists from bad therapists. There's, you know, in every profession, there's whatever, like, let's call it what it is, is the people that aren't doing their inner work. And I am constantly, I mean, I think there is an obsession with self-development that in our country of like always trying to get better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Buy all the books, do all the tarot cards, Oracle cards. Um, but whatever lights you up, that's what makes sense. And I, at first I had this jealousy for coaches when I first started my business and I was like, wait, okay. So insurance company is going to, and reimburse me $60. And this coach down the street is getting $500 for their package. Why did I go to school? So yeah. I think that there's a, there was a jealousy there. I'll say that one thing. And then also the scope of practice, right? Like we all need to stay in our lane. If mm-hmm. you are not a trauma informed person, do not do trauma work. Like that is the most damaging thing you can do for someone. Yeah. And so I think that that's what gives licensed therapists the credibility is like, we're all trauma. Inf- I mean, we sh- should be right. uh, trauma informed and um, can sort of hold space for that where there's other coaches where they're just they're just saying, they're not trained. Yeah. They're literally yeah. just like, I'm trauma informed because I kind of know what trauma is. And it's like, no, you can't just put that on your Instagram bio. There was, yeah, I, I saw that recently where someone was saying that they're a trauma informed coach. I'm like, okay, well, what, what steps did you take to get that, that title? Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be grad school, but I need to know like how, how you're trauma informed. And yeah, I've, I've definitely felt, felt that with like looking at coaches and looking at therapists who have turned coaches who like, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'll look at their packages and they're making so much freaking so much money, money. so and, much money, so much money. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like that, I, that's where I aspire to be down the line. If I can really create a coaching program that I believe in that's tailored because I've, I've done my own coaching programs. I've invested a lot in myself and not all of them were tailored to me. And that's something that if I'm going to put a high ticket price, like I really want it to be tailored. I really want it to be really good, you know, bang for your buck kind of work. But I think it's important going back to coaches is 
thinking about our clients having a treatment team, you know, like I really want my clients to have that level of support. And I think it's my training in hospitals and things like that, where I learned how to be a part of a treatment team with nurse, psychiatrist, um, peers. And that's always been really helpful in this private practice world is like, I want my clients to have a support team. I have multiple clients who have life coaches and I ask them before I even start therapy with them in my consultation, like what's the difference between me and your life coach? Like what, what, what are they going to be working on and what am I going to be working mm-hmm. on? Just so they have a clear picture and yeah. intentionality. Like let's all just stay in our lane, stay in and, your lane. Yeah. and the scope of practice, right? Like I'm not prescribing antidepressants. I'll recommend that if I see my client not getting better for a period of time, I would never you know, deny someone something that could actually help them, but I'm not prescribing it. Like I'm not the one saying you need to do this, this, and this, because I'm not trained in pharmacology. I'm not a, I'm not a psychiatrist or an MD. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been thinking, I want to do a podcast soon about all the different, like what's the difference between social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, and really breaking it down because people just get it all together. And I think that's harmful for clients or people seeking mental health treatment is that they'll just kind of maybe go with anyone and that could be really unsafe and damaging. Like you said, um, I seriously could talk about this topic and I feel like we didn't even cover everything that I, I, yeah, I just have so many light bulbs in my head right now. Is there anything else that you would like to share before we wrap up today's conversation? I just want to reflect back to you how special you are in the work that you're doing, especially the geography that you're in. You know, I'm in Southern California. We're a little more woo-woo out here. We're a little more progressive. And, you know, the family that I happen to be born into came from hippies. And so um, I just think it's really courageous what you're doing in the middle of America. By the way, Midwesterners are my type. I think I mentioned that to you. I'm about to marry a Midwesterner from Indiana. Like, I love Midwesterners, but it's a a whole different thing. So the fact that you're showing up in this way and you're doing things differently is truly inspiring. I just wanted to say that. Okay. And I brought a tear to my eye. I appreciate that. And that is definitely, um, that's true. I'm not going to fight you on that. It, it is hard being spiritual woo woo, um, talking about all the hard things and Indiana. (laughs) Yeah. Bringing it all to light. You know, I think you're, we're bringing this all to light and this is not to shit on social work or therapists or, you know, this field in any sort of way, but it's so important to bring this stuff to light. Because like I said, if I was an 18 year old deciding which college I wanted to go to and what career path, I would want to know like what it really looks like to work in the mental health field and the burnout and the low pay. And so thank you for bringing this to the light. And I hope it serves as many people as possible. Well, thank you for, for talking about it with me as well. How can listeners follow you and work with you? Sure. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, um, Molly Zive Therapy, and I have a website called therapywithmolly.com, and I'm getting really good at sending out newsletters. So if you want to subscribe to my newsletters, there's some free content in there. And if you're in California, I do have availability. I have um, a few slots open for clients. So if you're interested in working with me, go to my website and we can start a conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Molly. Thank you, Morgan.